Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The following podcast is an exclusive presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Episode 51, the Prolific Writer Podcast, S.D. Smith comes by the show and discusses all things kids' books. Let's go. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your prolific writer podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I'm so glad that you are here. The podcast and website dedicated to helping you write fast, write often, and write well. So I hope you are doing those things that you're writing fast, you're writing often, and you're writing well. And if you're not, and if you're somewhere along the journey and you need some inspiration, you need some motivation, some tips, some tricks, some help, some encouragement. We are here to serve you and help you. And today I have a fantastic interview with S.D. Smith. And if I recall, this might be our first purely children's book writer. And S.D. Smith has burst on to the scene with his Ember series that you'll hear more about. And you are going to love it. You are going to enjoy it. We talk about all kinds of exciting interesting things. I hope they're exciting and interesting. Imagination, writing for kids. But one of the unique thing about S.D. Smith is a lot of his books have really gotten to the hands of adults too. And just how the process for writing for kids and writing for adults really aren't that different. I mean, obviously you think about language and, and, and violence and, and all that kind of stuff, but, but really he's really found an audience with, with both groups of people that people are finding these books to be wonderful to read with their kids and the adults are enjoying them as well. And I think that's a, a testimony to his giftedness and his ability to write a good story. And so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how he has really chosen the indie 
writing route as opposed to the traditionally published route and has started his own company to do that. And uh, even being a kid's writer who has beautifully illustrated books and the challenges of that. Um, yet he's, he's kind of chose that path and he talks a lot about that as well. And so it was such a privilege to have SD Smith on the show. I'm so glad to introduce him to the world. You're going to love this episode. It's going to be jam packed with great insight and information and inspiration. And SD has a lot to, to, to share with us. So Really looking forward to that. Before we get to the interview, just a couple updates with me. Uh, as you have heard or, or known, I did NaNoWriMo this year, writing a novel in a month, the month of November. We are just outside of December, and I decided to write two children's books with my son, which was a great privilege, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And so I am editing one and finishing up the last touches on the second one, even though I did hit my 50,000 word mark. Uh, the books are a little bit longer than we anticipated, uh, but it's been great fun. It's been a great challenge trying to write kind of through the eyes of a child, through a 12-year-old Ricky Rayburn, uh, through his narrative, through his eyes. And so that's been been a good good challenge. And so I've really enjoyed that that process. And um, I think one of the things I'm, I'm learning is, is really just challenging, challenging yourself in different genres and different ways of writing. It's it's been a, been a good exercise and it's been a lot of fun collaborating with my son who gives me lots of great ideas and gives me feedback as I kind of share pages with them and gives me a, you know, Hey dad, I don't understand this. Or why'd you say this? Or I don't know what this word means. Uh, So that's been really good to have kind of a built-in editor, beta reader, even as I go. So I will keep you updated on that and how those books come. They will be hopefully available sometime next year, probably early next year. And uh, quite a few books in the pipeline, working on um, another writing book, actually my first writing book, um, and that's in the editing process as well. So hopefully it'll uh, really encourage you. It's called The Prolific Writer, and um, a lot of the the principles and convictions I have about writing will be in that book, and a lot of things we share on the show, and a lot of the people that come on the show talk about these things too. So I've tried to capture that through the podcast and, and through some of my own beliefs about writing, and so... Um, Hopefully that will be helpful and uh, I'll keep you apprised on that. So before we get into the interview, our show today is brought to you um, and sponsored by, it's first brought to you by Project Entertainment Network. And so we, a couple weeks ago, made the shift to the Project Entertainment Network family. Go check out all their shows, projectentertainment.com. All kinds of shows from writing shows to shows about faith to shows about cooking to shows about the creative process. You name it, there's probably a show uh, in there that you will enjoy. Um, I think it's 18 plus shows and counting. There'll be even more next year. So we're part of the Project Entertainment Network host of shows, family of shows. And also, uh, as always, our show today is brought to you by subculture corsets and clothing. And one thing I know about this time of year, it is December is it's Christmas time and you're looking for gifts, that person to buy that dad, that mom, that brother, that sister, the son or daughter. And you're looking for some, maybe some apparel, some retro steampunk, Gothic kind of stuff or corsets or just unique kind of clothing accessories. Check out subculturecorsets.com and you can get a 10 percent discount today if you shop online just at checkout just put in the prolific writer and you'll get 10 percent off on all your purchases and uh, if you are in the jacksonville florida area they're just off i-95 check them out subculture corsets and clothing sorry that's a mouthful 
And they have all amazing things, accessories, Christmas is coming, even have my friend Armand Rosamilia's books. You can check those out too. And that's all online. So check that out, subculturecorsets.com. Thank you for hosting us, supporting us, and making all this possible. So without further ado, ado, here is S.D. Smith. Well, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. I am so privileged today to have S.D. Smith on the show. And S.D. lives with his wife and four kids in West Virginia. Uh, Sam's the author of middle grade adventure fantasy, The Green Ember, as well as its prequel, The Black Star of Kingston. Ember Falls, the highly anticipated follow-up to The Green Ember, is available now. And I'm so thankful to have S.D. on the show. So, S.D., tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Thanks, Ryan. I'm very pleased to be here. I appreciate you having me. Uh, yeah, I live in I live in West Virginia. I have one wife, uh, four four kids, as you said, and I'm a writer. I grew up in in the holler, uh, well, in one particular holler. Um, we pronounce it with an er sound on the end, not a hollow, as <laughs> may seem proper. Uh, but grew up in the holler, and then uh, at 12 years old, I moved to South Africa. And I uh, was there like during when apartheid was still the law and Nelson Mandela was in prison. And when we left, uh, Nelson Mandela was the president. And so I was there during a really uh, fascinating time in history. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a West Virginian. I'm a hillbilly. I'm an Appalachian with, uh, with a little bit of African in me. And uh, yeah, I love, I love, uh, got, a, got a beautiful uh, family I'm really grateful for. And uh, yeah, the, my story started off as writing for for my own kids, or actually just telling my kids stories, and, and those led to the books that that I've been writing. I could say more, but it just gets more and more boring from there. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Esty, it's great to have you on the show. And I mean, a couple of things I'm really excited about is one, I, I do have to know something. I uh, I watch a lot of uh, Justified, so I need to know: is it really like that in West Virginia? Oh, is that is that show and what is that take place in West Virginia? Yeah, it does. Um, it's not on anymore, but uh, you know, a lot of huh. haul, a lot of haulers, a lot of um, you know, drug trafficking and, and other things. So, um, it's exactly it's exactly like they portray. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, but I'm positive. I mean, when was the last time people in Hollywood got anything wrong? <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's not like they're going to stereotype us as a bunch of you know pill-popping holler people. I mean, that's, sure. that's just not going to happen. So now, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's probably, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of any like accurate portrayals of West Virginians in films. Most people don't even know that West Virginia exists. They just, mm-hmm. they say things like, oh, I've been to Richmond or that kind of a thing. They missed the whole civil war part where we mm-hmm. became our own state <laughs> in history class. So I'm just, we're just glad when people notice us and they don't slight us in any tiny way because otherwise we get super, super offended really fast. <laughs> well, great. So it sounds like you have a really interesting uh, family and kind of upbringing and influences. And I'd love to kind of start there. Uh, I'm also a second reason I'm excited not only to have you on is because you're West Virginian, but also uh, that you're a children's book uh, author. 
And, and, uh, I haven't had many, uh, children's writers on the show and it's kind of timely cause I've been trying to find some. Um, and, uh, and, and I always find, uh, writing for children very interesting. Um, and it kind of a different, a little bit of a different approach. And, and you mentioned, you know, starting, uh, just telling stories to your kids and things like that. But, but let's go back in time a little bit to kind of your family and your, your upbringing. And what, what were some of the influences that kind of got you into storytelling and reading and imagination and all that kind of stuff? Well, that is a, that's interesting because not a reader as a kid. I, you know, I don't know about you. I'm 40. Uh, when I was growing up, I didn't, there weren't a lot of men in my life or boys who, who were real readers. So I was more like an athlete type of person. I didn't really, um, didn't have a lot of role models in that, uh, in the world of reading. So I, so I, I wasn't a reader until I was kind of a late teen. And, uh, but, but I loved storytelling and I loved my, my mom. We lived, we literally did live in the basement of a log cabin my dad was building, which was never finished before we went to the mission field. Um, but we lived in this basement up in this hollow and it was, uh, it was, well, it was kind of, in a lot of ways, it was a really idyllic childhood for me because I just played in the woods all the time. And my imagination just kind of ran wild. So I was kind of telling stories almost all the time, but I didn't, uh, but I didn't read books. My mom would read us like the Chronicles of Narnia, that kind of thing. Uh, and I can just remember that just, just blowing my mind as a child and I could just see it all. And I was amazed and I was just so captivated by the story and sort of by the, the magic that was happening, uh, by me being able to see these worlds in my mind, just from, just from these little symbols on a page being read by my mom. And I had teachers in school who read things like the Boxcar Children. So I remember in Lassie, particularly, I loved Lassie as a kid, uh, just hearing those stories. So I remember those, and, and our story was, our, our life was, you know, filled with Bible stories and, and uh, the Bible itself. And so that those were kind of the shaping things really early on. And I and I used to even write little stories. Like uh, I thought, I, even when I was really little and I didn't read books, I still thought it was kind of romantic, or there was something about uh, being an author that was just I thought was just completely amazing. And so I, I would try to write little stories uh, as a kid. They were kind of lassie knockoffs. And then as I got older, they were like Indiana Jones knockoffs, that kind of a thing. And they're horrible. I'm sure I still have one, um, about a big intergalactic, uh, Olympics called the great space race interruption where the, um, Mar Martian and earthlings were sort of having this competition. And then, and then the people from Jupiter, uh, attacked right in the middle of the Olympics, and there was this fight, and I used to kind of illustrate it. And anyway, uh, that that was sort of my my earliest my earliest experience with storytelling. I was really enchanted by it, but I sort of had this disconnect where I didn't <laughs> I didn't really have the uh, sort of cultural capital to understand like how you know how entrancing like the experience of reading my own books you know, reading books myself could be. So I've kind of put that off for a long time, but I was always haunted by the idea of storytelling. And then finally just completely, you know, overrun. Well, that's, that's interesting. Cause um, you know, so many of our writers that we have on there talk about, you know, reading so much growing up and, and, you know, imagination and, and yet, kind of yours is a little different and maybe you didn't physically actually pick up a book and read it, but you, you were hearing stories, you were taking in story. I mean, we're storytelling, you know, creatures in many ways. Um, 
you know, the, the Bible, just the, the fascination with C.S. Lewis, all those things. Um, so as you were um, kind of what, what was the, the, the kind of beginning part of, hey, I, I want to write these kids books. I want to write my own stuff. When, when did that started, you know, conversation started happening in your own head or uh, with friends and family? Because obviously you've done done pretty well with the books you've written. So talk about that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know when that moment happened. I can remember there being a time when sort of I didn't think of myself as a writer and then a, a time when I did, but I don't know when the, the transition happened. Um, I don't have like a perfect come to Jesus conversion moment um, from, from my pre-writer days. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would always write, well, when I was in South Africa, I had a copy of, I found a copy of my grandfather's poems. He was a, a World War II veteran who fought, uh, flew in Flying Fortress and B-17s in World War II and in England. And he, he was a poet and a painter, and we lived in this, you know, we lived, we were kind of fairly poor Appalachian people. That's kind of what we, my, my heritage and uh, good people. Um but uh, you know, not 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 wealthy by any means, and uh, you know the men and were, we're hunters and fixed cars, and that's kind of a normal thing. But my but my my papa, as we called him, uh, he he was a he was a very gentle man, and he was very masculine. But he but he loved poetry, and he loved like butterflies, and he painted, and so he he was, but he was a he was a man's man in every way. So he was this sort of contradiction that I came to terms with at some point, and just sort of okay, that's that's, I'm like him. And people like us do this kind of thing, and and so I, he, you know, he just the poems really resonated with me. So from from then on, I was writing poetry, and I, I sort of got into the, I got a guitar when I was 16. I turned 16 in South Africa, got my first guitar, and started writing songs. And so I kind of went through the the poetry, you know, like like everybody, lots and lots of horrible poetry, in my background, and I started writing poetry and songs, and so that was I sort of was thought of myself as a writer of some kind for kind of a long time. And identified that way, and I don't know when it switched over to stories. I started telling stories, you know, probably my late teens, writing them down. I'd always told like my little sister stories, or my big, uh, like my big brother who told me. So it's it's just uh, at some, but the, the 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 beginning of what became the Green Ember, my my first novel that was has been published and shared with the world. That uh, that came from stories I've told my kids. Uh, so I got married and. Uh, my wife Jean and I, we have our first daughter Anne, and she, she when she was just a little toddler, we kind of sit out on the porch in, in our very rural Appalachian home, and and I would, uh, you know, it's just like a, a lot of dads, I would just tell her stories about lots of different things. We had a bunch of different series. I would tell her the girl with golden wings and several different little sort of series at bedtime and on walks, that sort of thing. So we were sitting on the porch one day, and there were some rabbits hopping around in the yard, and I just started telling her about this older sister rabbit who looked after her little brother and and uh ann's little brother came along and there was kind of a we started telling it to both of them and it just became this this series that they really loved and i really loved telling them and so we just kind of it just went on and on and would tell them more installments and they were all improvised just kind of on the spot but but they it kind of became a special story it sort of surpassed all the other ones and and they wanted to hear what happens next what happens next of course i never knew but i would just kind of make it up on on the spot but it became we had this sort of started building the story and at one point we had this kind of there was this climax to the story that was just really felt special and we kind of looked at each other like 
wow, that was cool. And I didn't know it was coming. They didn't know it was coming. And it was a, it was a really special moment. And, and they said, you know, daddy, you gotta, you gotta write this down. So that was the beginning of, of writing down and thinking about sharing what would become the green ember uh, with other people. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about the genesis of that. So you're, you're telling stories to your kids, um, about, and if people don't know the green ember is a story and, and I have to say this cause you'll think it's funny. Uh, maybe you will, um, is Dan says, Hey, you know, it's a story written through the eyes of a, a rabbit, um, or through rabbits. Um, but after a while you don't, you don't really think it's rabbits talking anymore. And he, he actually says that as, as a compliment. So, <laughs> cause you know, he's kind of prefacing as a, as you know, it's a story about rabbits. Um, but you won't really think it's about rabbits, um, after a while. Um, anyway, um, so the, the, the genesis of the, of the story, um, you're telling these, these stories to your kids. It's about, you know, through the eyes of a rabbit and different stories and tales. Um, but, but when you started thinking about putting this actually into a novel, what, what was that process like? I mean, had you ever attempted anything like that before? Did you even know where to start? How did you start? Um, and then what, how did it start to take shape? I had, you know, I'd written some, I guess I'd written some short stories, and I had written two other, I'd written one novel, the first novel I wrote, it's kind of like the, the classic cliche, I uh, wrote it and had a lot of high hopes for it, but at some point, from feedback and from my own sort of self-assessment, I realized it, that it wasn't very good, and it wasn't what I wanted to share with the world, and uh, then, I, then, I seri- then I had a little serial of short stories, some humorous, uh, theoretically humorous short fiction, um, which was set kind of a sort of a Lake Wobegon, uh, Mayberry-ish town with sort of a PG Woodhouse, Woodhouseian sort of approach to to a to like a, a hillbilly town in West Virginia, um, and I, I, I that was a serial that was published in this little journal around here, and then I, I sort of uh, I um, novelized those, so I kind of had two things that I'd written, so I, I wasn't totally a uh, complete novice, but I you know I didn't. I don't know that I wasn't ever really one to, I guess I paid somewhat attention, but I wasn't, I'm not a, a major student of, I, I didn't go out and study. It's, it was the opposite of what, you know, you hear a lot of people recommend, which I didn't go out and study the market and figure out what's hot right now and mm-hmm. uh, what's going on. Or should we do, you know, the cliches of Amish vampires or whatever, the, the thing that's hot right now, if you put a dragon on the cover, it'll sell this much more. You know, all those kind of things. It wasn't calculating at all. It was just very, very much. So it's, I just thought, I really tried to focus on this is for my kids, and that is the goal. And and if the, and if they love it, then mission accomplished. And if anyone else, uh, you know, enjoys it, that's just gravy. That's just bonus. And if it's something that just my my kids show their their kids and their grandkids. And they say something like, oh, you know, my dad was a storyteller. He used to tell us this story, and he gave us this gift. He wrote down in a novel form, the, you know, the stories that he told us and, and, uh, it's special to our family. Like that was the sort of the bar. And, and so we, we, you know, we, when we wrote, I thought, I kind of liked it. I, I thought it was, I thought it was good. And I thought, well, let's share this. And so we, 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 we concocted a, a plan to share it with the world. My, my brother-in-law, Andrew McKay is a, uh, was, had worked in publishing a long time and he sort of had a long time dream of being a publisher and I had a long time dream of being an author. And so we decided to kind of get together and publish the book independently and connected with this website that we had, we had, uh, founded called story Warren. And so sort of an outgrowth of that kind of harmonized with the vision that we had there, um, about being like allies in imagination. 
so we, uh, we, we, we produced it. We did a Kickstarter and the whole, our whole thing was we ordered, um, you know, like 1500 copies of the book when we began and we were just terrified. We thought, Oh my goodness, you know, if we can just get through these in 18 months, you know, we'll be okay. And we were just, and I, I sort of had these two things going on. Um, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, I felt like on one hand I thought this is special because it's, it's, it's intended just for my family. Uh, and you know, there's kind of a there's kind of a cliche about that too. I think Kurt Vonnegut says something like, "If you try to um, be romantic with the entire world, you'll." Uh, well, it's kind of an off-color thing, but he basically says something like, "If you try to write for everyone, you end up writing for no one. But if you write for someone, you might end up writing for more people." Mm-hmm. And that was the, the that's what I did. Is I wrote for one audience, my kids, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so I sort of thought, well. On one hand, you know, there's other other kids like my kids. There, there are other families like us that might enjoy this. But on, on on one hand, I thought, you know, I've written the perfect book that no one will ever enjoy because it's too mature. Like there's too much. It's too kind of epic. There's too much of a big sort of theme in it. So little kids will not enjoy it. It's just too serious in that way. Uh, but it's also got rabbits. It's bunnies. So older kids won't enjoy it. So I thought I've written the perfect book that no one will read. Like it's, <laughs> it fits right in there. And I think that was it wasn't so I just say it wasn't calculated at all. It was very or if, or if it was calculated, it was very poorly calculated. There was um, I had no no um, I was I just tried to be entirely completely honest and just tell the very best story I could tell for my kids. And there were there was uh, and I of course I wanted it to I would love for it to um, to be really successful. But I had I had no uh, real preparation for the for the way that it's been received. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I feel like it's been, uh, I don't know if it's a, if it's a, a, a lesson, it's been a lesson for me anyway, that, that, that doing something really sincere, that you often find something, uh, something organic, something that's not contrived, some that, that you often find that there are other people who, who feel the same way and have the same hunger um, that you do. So what, what have been, um, you know, what have been some of these surprises? Um, you, you mentioned, you know, I, I wrote it for my kids. It, it feels too big for maybe other kids, too serious. Um, who's going to actually read it? Uh, what, what have been some of the kind of surprises, feedback you've gotten? Obviously, it's, it's sold pretty well and, you, you know, keep building the series out and people like it. So, so what's kind of the, the comments, the feedback that you've been getting that have really been kind of surprising for you? Well, I mean, all of it. I mean, there's, it's, it's, uh, I say to, you know, my brother works with me and, and we, we kind of say to each other all the time, there's just so many things happen that like any one of them in a small portion would have like made our year, you know, like would have been so encouraging, but it's, it's, um, it's a, it's, we've had so much positive feedback and, and it's all, you know, I don't know. So it's the, like the, 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 the volume of good feedback has been incredible to me. You know, I look on my desk right now. I'm staring at a, just stacks and stacks and stacks of letters. Many of them I haven't gotten a chance to open yet from kids and some get art and just there's a, been a real uh, resonating with the story that really, really took me by surprise. And that might sound like oh, a humble brag or something like that, but I just that's how I genuinely feel. I'm really surprised by the enthusiasm that's been met with. And and the the ages have been really wide. Like I, I think it's a sweet spot for independent reading of like maybe seven or eight to twelve or thirteen. Like that range is probably you know, it's a middle grade story. But I hear constantly from 
families who all read it together. And they say, oh, the teenagers didn't want to at the beginning, but they come in. So uh, that's been a big surprise to me that, that uh, people, and I hear from grandparents, there's, oh, I've read this, I can't believe this. And I, uh, I'm a, uh, I loved it, and I'm 80 years old or 62 years old. I, I'm astonished, heard from all corners of the world, from the Middle East, from China, from uh, Spain, from France, from South America and Africa, and uh, just all over. And I've received letters from all over, and I just can't. I'm, that is a that totally blows my mind. Uh, but also, just kind of makes me feel like, oh well, they're just, you know, I. I've said this a lot, but it's it feels like we have that it's like a a family an old family recipe that um, you know that you make and your family loves and you enjoy it. And then like you're having someone else over for dinner, and you look at them and they're like they they love grandma's potatoes or, or broccoli casserole or something like they they love it too. And you're like oh that's cool that's something in our family loved they loved it too. And you just kind of feel like a special kinship and that's what it feels like with these stories like oh i can't oh somebody somebody else our family loves kind of our family story anyway and that just has happened again and again and again and, I, and it's uh it's completely blown me away so i'm very surprised by that but, but delighted and honored and uh it makes me very happy because it means that i just get to keep doing it mm-hmm. yeah so so tell me i mean that we've skipped over a few things but um i mean what what were you working a job like why you're doing this? I mean, are you only doing this? Like what, where, where are you at as far as like, how did you have time to, you know, write these beautiful books? And obviously they had to be illustrated and put together. I mean, as a indie author. And so talk a little bit about that kind of your, your juggling of all that. You did the Kickstarter. Um, you know, what was kind of the plan of action as far as I think it's in hardback and uh, audio and Kindle and, and all that. Um, talk a little bit about that kind of, you know, after you got the book, uh, written, what was the steps after that? Um, yeah, well, again, my, my partner, uh, Andrew McKay, he, he's great. He, he, I think we were kind of a good team. Um, I, I didn't have a lot. I was in a lot of ways able to focus on, um, the, the, the writing and, um, thinking about how to connect that with an audience, and he sort of did a lot of the the, the publishing side stuff. Um, we 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 got a really excellent illustrator in Zach Franzen who did the cover, which is beautiful and fantastic and wonderful. And in uh, in illustrations are from Zach as well, and he's just he's incredible. We have a, we have a wonderful audiobook narrator, and Joel Clarkson has done two of the books, two yeah, and uh, is going to do the. Th- Third, I hope soon, <laughs> and uh, the, some of the the smaller side stories. We've had a friend named Eric Fritzius who's done those as well, and, and he's fantastic too. So yeah, we've had a yeah they're out in every kind of um, every kind of format you can, I think you can uh, that you can uh, that you can have uh, ebook and all that. So so yeah, we we uh, I mean we we just went ahead at the beginning when we we released the book in in hardback and in paperback. We did both, and uh, we've done that ever since with the with the bigger books, and uh, that's worked pretty well. Um, I did have a full time job the whole time, so I was working on all this stuff in very very thin margins of life. Um, in the middle of writing the Green Ember, my father uh, came down with uh, or was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and so for for six months, kids always ask, "How long did it take you to to write?" And, I can never tell because for six months in the middle of writing the book, I was in the hospital every day with my dad, who, who um, in this incredible um, story, survived this really rare um, 
disease and and uh, is, is doing great right now. But anyway, it was just uh, there was a lot of it's been crazy. It's been bananas, especially because we had such a, an enthusiastic response that we weren't kind of totally prepared for. We sold out of the first run very, very quickly. And we've had, I don't know how many printing, seven, eight, nine printings. We've had just, you know, just, uh, I don't even, I've lost track of how many there have been and we're printing more and more each time. So it's, all that stuff is just kind of caused by surprise. And, and Andrew and I both were just working in, in, like I said, these really, really thin uh, margins of we're, we're both, uh, men with uh, full-time jobs and young families and uh, involved in our communities. I was coaching soccer and involved in church and ministry and that kind of stuff. So it's just, uh, it's it's bananas. It's been completely bananas. But about three, I don't know, earlier this year, uh, around August or September or so, I, I left my job. And so I've, I've been doing uh, this full-time since then. And that's something that we were we'd hoped for for a long time. But um it came uh, quicker than we expected, and and uh, so now I'm doing it full time. Now it's now it's it's every day, and I think there's an old cliche that another friend, uh, a singer songwriter, Randall Goodgame, told me. He said you quit working 40 hours for some other guy so you can work 80 hours for yourself. And, <laughs> uh, that's definitely been the case for me. I've definitely you know that's how it feels. It's just been a re- it's been a, it's a lot of work you know to kind of try to do it all as an independent. Um, publisher, independent author, but um, but it's been it's been a wonderful experience. I've loved it. Did I answer your question? I can't. can't yeah, really no. So, what was kind of the uh, what was the did you have kind of an aha moment like when you you thought okay this this thing is 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 blown up. It's it's growing. People are liking it. Um, where you, you just said okay, this is something different than just sharing a story with my kids, and hopefully they like it, or maybe you know grandma likes it. Um, was there kind of a moment where you just said, wow, this thing really has a lot more traction um, than, than I expected? I mean, did that did that lead to thinking about other platforms and Kickstarters and all that? Or, or how was that kind of how process? And how long ago was this? I don't even know the, the time frame um, when the first book came out. Uh, we did the Kickstarter for the first book uh, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we, it's pretty, pretty fresh. Um, we're just we're just getting started. In, in a lot of ways, so uh, yeah, we didn't have we did the first Kickstarter. We had no idea what you know what what to expect at all. We we set a Kickstarter for ten thousand dollars, and uh, we were fortunate enough to again no one no one had really read much. We 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 um, made some good uh, connections, I guess, some good relationships uh, as far as just we had friends <laughs> friends uh, around the world from from my um, family being a mission, being missionaries. And then I'd started this story, this website story worn several years before where I was working pretty hard to give a lot of content, uh, encouraging, uh, hopefully good content sort of lead a group of people that were sharing a lot of stuff with, with the crowd. So I think that helped a little bit too. That helped us have kind of a, an initial response, but you know, it's funny, a lot of the, you know, you can work in, you can share yourself in a lot of communities and you can have kind of mixed results with that and we definitely definitely had mixed results with that you know there were there were there were um areas of of enthusiasm and there were areas of uh of pretty intense discouragement in other places but uh in the end you know that people were were ready to give us a chance i think we made a good video that was kind of clear a clear ask and and it it wasn't great but it was pretty good quality and and i think we we had we had a story to tell about the story 
you know, the story behind the story. And we shared that. And so we, and I think we, we reached our goal in 24 hours and, you know, it went on to be, I think, 20 or something, just like $24,000, something like that mm. for our first Kickstarter. So we recovered on, on, um, you know, then, then like the next test test was, you know, well, now we're going to send the books out and will anybody, <laughs> what will people think? And so we, you know, I was fearful of that. Uh, you know, you always have this sort of the imposter syndrome, uh, uh, stuff going on and but you know we, we started to see when we sent those out people were very enthusiastic about them from the beginning and you know it was an experience where i started seeing uh you know like you're reading amazon reviews and goodreads that kind of stuff and at the beginning you kind of recognize you know most of the names as people that sort of back the kickstarter or their friends or whatever and then it wasn't very long before we started seeing a lot of other names. And I thought, I, I genuinely at that time thought, like, is my mom going on Amazon and like, <laughs> you know, doing a bunch of secret identities? Or was it like a big conspiracy to try to just encourage me? And uh, I, I mean, I genuinely had, thought that. And then it just kind of got too, you know, out of control to where it was just too, too many to, to, for my, my mom to feasibly have done that. Maybe she did, though. Maybe this whole thing is a ruse. <laughs> if she was wealthy, like Bruce Wayne or something, maybe it would be more likely. But that is, that is not the case. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so at some point, it just, it just sort of like it became this word of mouth thing. It was, you know, we didn't have any, we didn't spend any money on marketing other than we did the Kickstarter. And I would like tell people on Facebook, hey, I got a you know, book out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we did no, uh, sometimes people still come up to us and like, I can't, you know, you've done so well with your marketing. I'm like, wow, really? I did, like, did not even know we were doing marketing. <laughs> uh, and it's basically just, I think, just telling the story and trying to do a good job, like do as best we can. But we've had like, again, you know, you probably know what this is like, but these these unbelievably like brain fried, total exhaustion, like no time uh, to think about it and making these like split second decisions and like giving 2% of yourself to a, to, to a thinking about a way of sharing something. And then like people are like, Hey, you really did a good job. And you're like, like you spent months on it, but it's just kind of lucky or, or, um, or, or, <laughs> uh, blessed, whatever it is, you know, you just kind of like, I can't believe that this is happening based on sort of the amount of time we're able to, able to, mm-hmm. to give to it. And we tried to focus on quality, tried to do good things. Like mm-hmm. uh, we tried to, you know, have quality be our business plan and, and, and uh, let other things follow. We tried to be like have integrity, you know, originality, honesty. We tried to be, um, do a good job at, at the things we were doing. We didn't try to do too much. We didn't try to, uh, and that's still our approach. Like even with marketing, it's like it's um, it's the same with writing. You know, the, the writing, especially for kids. I'm, I'm probably jumping ahead of your um, stuff here. Well, let me just answer what you're saying. You, what you were saying is there like a ha- an aha moment? And there, no, there there was at one point um, I was with an, an, another author that I really respected and loved, and we were given a talk together, and I kind of felt like well, I'm the imposter here. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to promote his books, and I was saying, hey. Um, how many of you guys have read his, this book? You know, I was telling, and I was expecting like everybody, and, and, and uh, you know, some people raised their hand, and then he like stepped over top of me and said, "Well, how many of you remember?" And like, way more hands went up, and I was just like, "What is what is happening here? I don't understand that." I thought that was just kind of a fluke, um, but that started. That was a little bit of a wait a second. Maybe this is, and I was like way across the country. I was in a different place, and I just thought that is weird. What's going on here? So there were little moments where I thought, "Wait a second, maybe this." maybe something special is happening. Maybe people really are responding to this and it, you know, it kind of takes a lot of convincing and it was, and it's been kind of gradual, mm-hmm. um, but I've never, uh, but there's never been, you know, like a, 
a single moment mm-hmm. um, really it's just been it's like it's like a you know a, a life story or a movie or something or you, you can't when you're in it i don't know if you ever played sports it's like that in sports like you don't really mm-hmm. you're just playing like you if you do something good on offense like you make you know you score a three-pointer or you or you uh just make a good play like everybody in the crowd's like oh my gosh that's a great play but like you have to think about defense and you have to like get it back and mm-hmm. you have to <laughs> hustle and you have to like think about the next play you can't just be like oh man that was so awesome and really celebrate that moment um and even if you win a game it's like oh that's great that's wonderful like we got to go back to practice tomorrow and you know for the working writer and i'm sure you know this it's like you, you can you can sit around and think about well oh, god you know we made we had this many thousands of sales or we had this many whatever but so you like there's 10 things you have to do because mm-hmm. nobody you're not waiting on some big new york publisher to, to kind of like do anything for you you just gotta you gotta hustle and you gotta get back on you gotta get back and play defense and so it's 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 a little bit it's almost like some other people I'm just rambling at this point, but I, some other people come and they're like so excited about what's going on. And, and I'm almost like, it's so weird to experience that through their eyes because they are experiencing it in a completely different way than I am. Cause I'm on, I'm on the inside and it's like, I'm working, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the next thing. And mm-hmm. they're just like, wow, are you just like, are you just busting at the seams? And like, look, I'm really just tired mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Yeah, everyone imagines you know just sitting in your golden throne and enjoying yeah. you know money raining from heaven and you know rabbits running around you. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things going back a, a couple clicks is uh, you talked about quality and integrity, and I really love that. Um, if if people don't get a chance, check out sdsmith.net. We'll put it in the show notes, of course. Um, your website's really beautiful and really highlights kind of you know the the books that are beautiful and. Um, you know, there's some simplicity to it. I think, you know, any author that's looking to kind of, you know, have a website or just communicate information, you know, it's very clear. It's very, you know, this is an author and this is your books and, you know, some videos that are really cool. Um, one of the questions I had about that, at least on the, the kind of marketing and just communication and especially in the children's uh, writing space is you're selling books to children, but obviously children don't have money. And so what's kind of been the, the, the relationship, you know, parents are the ones with the money and, you know, so, so how does that work? I mean, are you getting feedback from parents? Are you interacting with adults? Like, how do you, how do you kind of sell to, you know, a seven-year-old versus uh, someone who actually can pay for the book and, and all that? Like, what does that look like? When do you think through that as far as marketing goes? Hmm. That is an awesome question. I've never, ever been asked that. Um, I, it's a, we have a huge scheme to get money into the hands of children that's so when we have we, we work very hard to make sure that children now i don't know what we uh yeah that that is an interesting conundrum and i've not thought about it that much really because we don't think about we think about you know and this is kind of a general approach to life like i i we're not i guess my family is not like super excited about like fragmentation I think we're all excited about stuff like Pixar movies where, where the whole family goes and we're all just really, really into it. We just feel like that's, that's, and I, I know there are other things, but I don't, we don't think about, I don't think about um, targeting an age group as a, as a, as a way of a division like a, or, or something like divide and conquer. So I, we don't aim. I do tell parents. Yeah. Like, like I said earlier that, that, that the um, there's kind of a sweet spot for independent reading probably, but but we we make things for families and make things for 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 entire families and we do just go to the parents because that's what you know that's what I am and so I think mm-hmm. about giving things 
to families that parents will appreciate and enjoy. And, and you know, we just hear from parents constantly. And, and our whole thing, our whole approach at StoryWarn and our whole um, strategy is just to be an ally to parents. Like, I don't think, I think that sort of the cult of celebrity, uh, whether it's pastors or politicians or artists or authors or whatever, is is almost always not very, not super helpful. And I like, I get looking up to somebody, like I look up to C.S. Lewis and, uh, you know, P.G. Woodhouse and, and G.K. Chesterton and people I, like that's, I would, I would love to meet them and all that. But I think like this worship uh, sort of uh, over idealization of these of these um, like sort of so-called creative vocations is really dangerous. I think that they're, they're in one sense, I do think like writing is magical and I love it. And it's this amazing miracle. And it's I just want to like, talk about how incredible it is all the time. But then like there's a flip side of that where it's just like, well, it's an ordinary vocation. I'm doing work that is, um, as, as a Christian, like that is a Christian vocation. It's it, for me, it's, it has to be rooted in love and has to be rooted in service. So it's not about me thinking like I am this amazing special flower and, and blooming in the desert and everyone else is lousy. And if I just express myself, people will come around me and circle me and adore me. Like I don't, I think of myself as like a working author that I work and and my work is about service and it's about loving and it's about um, being a servant to these kids and these families and coming alongside parents and saying yeah I know it's tough to to um, to find you know things that are either like not super super toxic or on the other hand like so safe that they're that they're really really dangerous <laughs> in a way and so st- stuff that sort of accounts for <clears throat> for reality and <clears throat> excuse me. So I so I just I think about being a, an ally to parents, not as like someone who like oh you should pay attention to me because I'm a guru or whatever. Just like no, I'm a servant. Uh, that's what I do. I you know I I don't know how to. There's a lot of things I don't know how to do, and I need help, and I need someone to serve me, uh, mm-hmm. and someone to help me. And, and uh, I think like children need adventure. Children need stories. Children need um, the shaping of their imaginations and uh, good light, love, hope. Uh, and I want to do that. I, I think I feel called to that. So I, I want to. So so I don't know. I don't think about. Again, it is maybe it sounds really. There there are practical like we do think about marketing. Like how do we we do want to sell things. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, maybe I'm presenting myself as like being more, you know, disconnected from the market than I really am. Mm-hmm. Because we think about you know how do we. But but our whole marketing strategy is is I think is it it, it harmonizes with our view with that same view in that in that it's the same with writing you know when I write for children I think it, it does really help to write for children in a lot of ways because you, you have to remove you know you can't be really self-indulgent with your language or um, with uh, it's not you're not trying to write the great American novel you're trying to tell a story and so you're trying to get obstacles out of the way so things that aren't clear maybe your favorite uh, you know beautiful prose like it pr- probably needs to go because if it doesn't serve the story and I know that's kind of a writing uh, instruction cliche, but it's so true because you know I want to serve this meal to these kids and these families, and I don't want to like serve it with a big cage over top of it. And I want to get you know you don't serve a meal and have a cage and say hey good luck trying to get through the cage to that food. Like I want to give them the food. Here's the food. It's right here. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy the feast. Um, that's what I want to do. I want to be a, a like a chef. I want to just give it to them. 
And so it's the same. I think it's the same thing with. So so it's that's a lot of a lot of that is about removing obstacles. Like let's get this stuff out of the way. Everything that blocks their access to this story, not just the story they want. So not like the lowest common denominator, nothing like that. But the story that's on my heart that I want to I want to give them that I feel called to give them in a lot of ways. Like get this, get everything that's possible out of the way of them accessing that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, crummy writing, all that kind of stuff, over description, you know, flowery, whatever. There's all kinds of, there's all kinds of ways of, of getting in the way in writing. Mm-hmm. But we kind of take the same approach with marketing. It's just like, we're not trying to trick anyone. We're not trying to sell things to people who don't want them. Mm-hmm. Like we're not, we don't have a, we're not used car sales and we're trying to sell a lemon or anything. Like we believe in what we're doing. We don't want to give it to people who don't want it. So we're not trying to trick anybody. It's just, and it's so our whole marketing strategy is get out of the way, like get things out of the way. And if somebody doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want it, like don't, we're not trying to like go hard sell. It's everything. It's super soft selling. It's all warm. It's all friendly. It's all based on, you know, mutual love and respect. And how do we, how do we make it easy? And I'm glad you said that about the website because that's, that's the whole design. That's the whole thing. It's, It's simplicity hopefully beauty, goodness, truth, clarity. Uh, and I think, you know, you probably, I'm sure you know this, but like, it's hard. Like marketing is a lot about sort of, is, is a lot about um, clearing away obstacles and, and having a very clear ask. And this is what we're trying to do. And, mm-hmm. and we're trying to get better at that. But, but it's all about service and it's all related to clarity, all related about removing obstacles. Um, are, and, and, and that's, and we, so we don't really direct anything to kids. We just want the kids when they get it as a gift or whatever, that we want them to enjoy it and love it and, and like inhabit that world. But, but our, our whole thing is like, we're working with parents and, and kind of families as a whole. That's great. Uh, so let's, let's dig into that just, just for those that, um, and I'm curious too, I, I just, uh, I attempted to write a children's, uh, book for national novel writing month, uh, with my 10 year old son. And, uh, and realized how hard that is. And uh, uh, so for those that are listening, um, aspiring authors, some children's writers are thinking about children's work. What are some kind of lessons kind of going along what you were just talking about a minute ago? Um, some things you're learning as far as how do you write for children as opposed to adults? Like what are some things that you kind of have to be very cognizant about? What are some things that you need to take into consideration? Um, you know, even as you're kind of going back, passing through drafts, editing, what are you taking out? What are you trying to, you know, is it, you know, t- too big of words? Is it certain kind of language? I mean, are you thinking through that cognitive? Like, how did you, when you started, and this is, now this question is getting really long. So when you, when you started and you're just telling. Not as long as my answer. Right. When you, when you started, you know, telling stories to your kids, I mean, were you just trying to kind of harness that again as you were kind of writing them down, just trying to be simple you know, clear, uh, talk, talk through that. Like, what have you kind of learned along the way as far as writing specifically for children? I, I genuinely do think that's a, a really good question. And I don't, and I think the best answer I could give is like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea. Um, but that maybe I have no idea is not fair. I have some idea, but I have, I have no idea if I'm right. Mm-hmm. And I think it is hard to look back and think, you know, how do you, uh, because I wrote this specifically for my kids I wasn't like trying to think about like what's the reading level. I just like know mm-hmm. my kids. My kids mm-hmm. read a lot of books, and and I thought, well, so I, I've always, so I, it feels like there are two sort of traps. There are traps on the on the, um, I think what people usually do, and I don't really know. I'm not a big again. I don't study the market. And I don't think through like what's selling or that kind of stuff. Basically, at all, 
Um, I, I usually am reading older stuff um, and uh, sometimes some, some modern stuff, but not too much. So I don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. <laughs> very much. Uh, but I would say that it feels like people want to dumb things down. Like I'm a, I'm a big advocate of don't do not dumb things down, like explain things up. And, and I, I believe that in life uh, as sort of as a life thing. Like I don't, uh, there was a really good article. I wish I could say who it was from that, that really, I, I, when I read it, it really resonated with kind of my wife and I, our parenting philosophy, which is, you know, don't, uh, and it's, it kind of goes along with sort of maybe like people who are sort of theologically or philosophically inclined. You know, like I've always had a, you know the the, the children's Bibles. <laughs> they're 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 famous for kind of having like this beautiful scene of Noah's Ark and mm-hmm. uh, Noah's Ark is so sweet and all the animals. But like that's a story about like a lot of people dying <laughs> right. and uh, this whole this horrible horrible thing. Yeah. Um, it's amazing in a lot of ways and it's tragic and it's beautiful. But so my philosophy has always been like with the kids, like well just give them the story, mm-hmm. like give them the story, and then explain up. Because there are all these barriers, like when you approach the Bible, there's a lot of barriers. But like to me, it's like let's be honest about what the barriers are. You know, language, um, time lapse, uh, different customs, and mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things that are hard to get. But I think that we're better off like just going sort of like straight at it right. <laughs> instead of kind of uh, taking little pot shots at the at the enemy and like not hiding behind a bush and popping out and just like let's just charge, let's just mm-hmm. get right in there and go go right for it. Uh, because I want. Like I want my kids to have this sort of a, this understanding of God that's not rooted in like uh, Christian bookstores uh, marketing plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want it to be rooted in like the um, the uh, like the <laughs> the arc of history and and um, the the Word of God. Like I want them to be anchored to, to. I want them to have stronger anchors than like you know the Grand Rapids business model or whatever it is. You know, I, I want not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I'm just saying like. That, so I, so I have this, a lot of respect. I think I always love children's authors that have a lot of respect for readers. I've heard mm-hmm. Madeline Langle talk about this, that she was told again and again that, that um, A Wrinkle in Time was way, way, way too intelligent, way, way too high language for kids mm-hmm. and rejected many times on those fronts. And, of course, that was demonstrably wrong. It's kids have really embraced that story. So I, so I think do not dumb down, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Like, that's, a big, that's a big easy thing. Like I'm just going to make this so sweet. But – that's a different question to me than like clarity. And I think, I don't know how this goes for writing adult stories. I, 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 um, my assumption is it's exactly the same that you always mm-hmm. want to cut away things that are unnecessary and make it as clear as possible. Mm-hmm. So clarity, not using, not using big words for the sake of using big words. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I think you don't want to shy away from, I don't think you want to dumb down, but you also want to be clear. So there's no need to be obtuse for instance, which I've always loved that obtuse is like such an obtuse word. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, you don't need to use a, ter- a word like obtuse, you know, because, uh, you know, so using, um, y- using cl- uh, clarity as simple words where possible. And C.S. Lewis has a wonderful uh, section on writing advice for people who write, for children who write, that it's kind of applicable to all of us, I think. In his uh, in the book that's collected of his letters, the letters of C.S. Lewis's letters to children, just wonderful. Uh, it's like you can find it online that that letter that he wrote where he explains sort of his writing advice, and it's all about you know, using simple words and being clear as you can. And I think it has kind of the heart of removing obstacles as well. And I, but I think that's what you do for. I don't know that there's a lot of differences. I just mm-hmm. think you don't dumb down too much, but you also be as clear as possible. 
remove obstacles and and respect like i i think my i want kids after they read well honestly this this last the the, the book that's coming out in the spring it's the green ember book three ember rising uh my illustrator zach after he read it he his feedback was he said i think kids are going to be really honored um that you trust them with this story because it's heavy because there's a lot of like uh it's 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 intense in a lot of ways i think there's a this hopeful thread going through but there's a kind of a there's some there's darkness and I, and I and I don't love like the wallowing in the darkness kind of like mm-hmm. celebrating the darkness like the way maybe a lot of um, adult fantasy writers that are very popular perhaps have shows on TV right now might sort of like enjoy this sort of nihilistic um, you know this 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 darkness and heaviness that's like disconnected from a worldview that makes sense of evil or good um, I don't love that personally I think that's I don't like that in stories. I like stories that tell the truth about the way the world actually is. Um, and, and and I think that's a gift to kids. I don't think just bald, naked, horrible, you know, death and darkness is, is a gift to kids. I think that uh, kids walking through the valley of the shadow of death um, in fiction is a gift, though, and, uh, particularly when they know that the, the arc of the story uh, moves toward hope and light um, but so anyway I just feel like that the, the basic principle there to me is respect and respecting kids like respecting their intelligence and not talking down to them but letting them go through um, the kinds of things that Tolkien walked us through when, when Sam and Frodo went through Mordor like giving uh, taking our hands and saying let's go let's go through this mm-hmm. let's go through it let's not live there but let's go through it um, and, but I don't know if any of that advice is particularly just applicable to kids. I just think that some of the errors that you're prone to, like, leave the world of sound writing advice and pander to children, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, like, more of, a, like, advice about avoiding some of the pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that I would, you know, write particularly differently for adults or kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, there might be some things that would exclude content-wise, but I don't even—I don't even know how, how big of a deal that is to me. I just—I would be trying to write honest mm-hmm. stories that, um, that that again removed obstacles and were clear and respected them an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think you know you might be onto something. I think that's why you know C.S. Lewis, a lot of his work is so enduring. You know, and mm-hmm. Tolkien, and you know, adults read it kids read it everyone in yeah. between i remember my grandma reading it to me even as a young kid and it was like i could i think it was before i could even read and and i just remember like i understood what was going on i didn't understand every detail um but it could have been an adult book i had no you know i mean it didn't it, it didn't you weren't thinking through the lens of is this a kid's book is this you know i just thought this is a great story and and i'm yeah. i, I want to go through the wardrobe and see what's on the other side and you know join lucy and you know and and all them and and explore the world and um th- there's something to that i think um you know you'd rather hold the carrot in front of kids rather than kind of put it behind them and say hey come back here and let's slow down and let's you know because like, I, so I, I'm sharing a, a manuscript with my my ten year old, and he's giving me feedback, and it's a kids book, and it's it's kind of like a um, adventure Indiana Jones kind of story um, that he he actually thought it up, and so I'm just he's kind of my dictator, you know, dictating the story, and I'm just kind of outlining it and going, okay, let's, and then he reads it, and then he goes. I, the question I keep asking him, son, is it clear? Like, can you understand? He's like, yeah, I didn't understand this word, but like, what does that word mean? And then he goes, okay. And then he like moves on. And it, it's not like, 
you know, writing these very simplistic kind of stories. And it's, it's been really encouraging just to hear him kind of talk that way, because that's been a challenge for me. Like I write mostly, you know, nonfiction adult stuff and some fiction adult stuff, but, but it's, um, you know, it's in many ways I, I was kind of fearful of that. So it's, it's good to hear you say that because, um, I guess in my head, I just had a kind of a stereotype of like, well, this, you know, they're kids and you just got to use, you know, one syllable words and, you know, um, and then you realize, man, kids are really smart. <laughs> like, I mean, not that I was questioning my 10 year olds, you know, intellectual capacity, but, but they really are like, he's like, yeah, I know exactly what's going on and, and this is great. And, you know, and it's, so it's, it's very interesting. And, um, and I've noticed that too. I, I started reading your books too. And, and, you know, I mean, I enjoyed them and, you know, they're not, they're not written necessarily for me, but I mean, I think, like you said, the whole family can enjoy these books. And I think that's probably why you're seeing kind of the whole family embrace the stories, not just seven-year-olds, you know, or eight-year-olds, which is probably pretty. I love what you, I love what you said there. Cause that about the kid, like your experience with your son, that's very, very cool to hear. And it feels like that's what you do is, you, yeah, there, there are, it feels like there's no, um, it's almost like the, you know, you get this feeling from, from reading a lot of Chesterton, I think, uh, GK Chesterton, but like, it's almost like the, the adults are the ones that are in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're the ones that sort of like have this need of re-enchantment. So it's mm-hmm. not like you would say uh, an adult who loved the, the Lord of the Rings or loved the Chronicles of Narnia, they're just like, Ooh, there's something wrong with him. Like he's got a problem. It's like, no, um, if you have a bunch of kids that love that and adults that don't, like the problem is with the adults, mm-hmm. not not with the kids. And so I think so much of children's literature does that. It kind of, it, it, it sort of, I don't know, it, it sneaks in and, and it doesn't, mm-hmm. um, and I think we adults, like we have, uh, you know, Chesterton talked about us, um, that, we have, uh, that we've sinned and grown old and that our father is younger than us. And uh, I just feel like there's such... Yeah, there is such power in sort of the enchantment of youth um, that, that we've we haven't been broken as badly mm-hmm. as we get, and and we haven't gotten as hard in our hearts mm-hmm. and elsewhere. Like uh, you know, as as we've gotten older and we, we've we've become less pliable, less awake to the wonder of the world. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like yeah, children's adventure, maybe particularly children's fantasy, can sort of reawaken wonder. And I thought of another thing, like with the kids' things. A lot of modern storytelling, it feels like, as much as I know, which ain't much, um, is sort of like it, it focuses the attention all on the, the life of the child, like it, the, the like the world. Uh, again, my illustrator Zach Franzen, he talked about talked about how they the, the world sort of like spirals into the child, mm-hmm. instead of sort of the world, the child looking up and like sort of um, finding his place, his or her place, like in a big world, mm-hmm. instead of the world like being inside them, like finding themselves inside the world. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it feels like, so I would, I feel like a lot of stuff that panders to kids, that's just like lowest common denominator. Like I just want to sell a bunch of these. Mm-hmm. You could do a lot of stuff with, with kids thing to just kind of appeal to maybe like, you know, banal, uh, you know, you get a lot of sort of tween. I'm just seeing the other day, there was this, just uh, this like tween, uh, chick lit like romance like it was really like heavy adult sort of stuff like way 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 too intense kind of stuff but it was intended for like 12 year old mm-hmm. girls and it was it was just this and it just made me like sick thinking like that's not that's not awakening wonder it's mm-hmm. not it's not attaching us to beauty or letting us see like a big or find ourselves in a big world and i even think like stuff like indiana jones 
and like your story, um, you, you had me immediately at like, it's a story like it's like Indiana Jones. I think stuff like that, like where he, you're going places and you're discovering big mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And even though Andy is like this incredible character, obviously, he's like, but it's not all just him and like what's mm-hmm. going on with him or like what he's wearing and how his love light love mm-hmm. life. Uh, which boy he chooses affects the whole geopolitical situation in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not it's not like that. Like a lot of like really popular fiction, it's it's this big big world and these big big ideas um, connected to like history and and um, religion and it's just this awesome kind of big big mm-hmm. stuff. And he's just like he's this player in it. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that I, I think that is such a I think that's a really needed valuable perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I've really enjoyed just the challenge of it. Um, just how I think about the world and how, you know, I need more of that awe and wonder and how I, you know, even in my adultness, how we go, Oh, kid, you know, kid doesn't get that. They're not going to get that. But then you realize like, but my son will go figure it out. Like he'll go, but I want to know what that is. I, I want to like, what does that even mean? I mean, they're in that question stage. I mean, everything's a quiet dad, tell me about this you know, and, and what, how how does that work? And, you know, and yet I'm the one that always wants to kind of saw off the, the awe and wonder of that and kind of just give the easy answers rather than than the discovery and the, in the discovery is actually the the beauty and, and, you know, the, the imagination and the, um, you know, them, you know, if we just feed everything to everyone, how do they grow? How do they, how do they see the world? How do they, like you were saying, how do you, how do you see yourself in the world? Um, and I, I found just writing this book that, um, I want the character, the main character's name is Ricky and the, the, the main character to, to figure it out rather than just go, well, you're just a kid. So get out of the way. <laughs> like, you know, I want him to see all the things that are hard in the world and, and that are difficult and, and, and allow them to stumble around rather than just, you know, kind of just say, well, just stay away from that. Um, and, 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 you know, that's, that's what I think you were, you were saying earlier in the interview was, you know, your, your philosophy of parenting is how do we let the kids kind of be exposed to some things that, you know, not, not wicked things, but, but things that are adult and, and kind of let them navigate some of that because, um, because they begin to see that this is how the world really is. Um, and, and there are pain and there is struggle and, and grandpa does get cancer and, and that, that stuff's real, you know, rather than creating this kind of, you know, a lot of Christian stuff, such just, everything's happy clappy everybody always gets healed everybody always gets saved everybody always you know um but to say yeah there's actually pain in the world you know um and and that's a hard hard line you know where there's still hope obviously um like you're saying not this nihilistic kind of view but um but you know we have to live in that tension as well right Oh man, I love that. That was awesome. That was good. Uh, write that down for me. Whatever you just said, I want to. I want to because I think uh, this this image came to my mind when you're talking about like you're basically talking about um, fueling curiosity instead of sort of stifling it. And the, mm-hmm. the adults, uh, our adult approach is like cut that off exactly because we're so tired mm-hmm. and we're so beat up mm-hmm. and and uh, we are so afraid because we've been given like you know, we've had 40 years worth of pain that tells us to be afraid mm-hmm. and, uh, and to be scared and to, and to shut it off. But like, yeah. And I just, this image came to my mind when you're talking about like fueling curiosity and letting the character. And I thought like, yeah, um, it's breadcrumbs, not bread. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's leaving a little trail. It's not like just plumping a big loaf of bread on the mm-hmm. table. It's the breadcrumbs. That's what we want. And yep. I, I love what you're saying. Like, yeah. Sounds like a cool book. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, 
you know, there's a, I think art and storytelling, and I, I've been having these thoughts too and conversation with people is, is art is becoming kind of too utilitarian and, and it's, we're so worried about its practical nature or its usefulness. And I think the problem is we apply that to everything in life. Um, and so everything is, is very much pragmatic, you know, it's, well, the story doesn't, you know, if it doesn't produce something or it doesn't make me a lot of money, why would I want to tell a story? Like that's a waste of time. And so a lot of times, you know, that's where the artist gets kind of squashed too, where they feel like, well, it's not useful in the real world. So why would I waste my time? You know, why would C.S. Lewis be this, you know, world renowned thinker, you know, working in a, in a university and tell kids books on the side? Like that just seems like a waste of time. I imagine he's probably had that. Someone had that conversation all the time with him, but, but it's about the, the, all and the wonder and not everything that God creates and God gives us is it's not all just usefulness. It's good because it's good. Like he made it. And, and, and I think there's just a lot of that, you know, when we worry, I, I, maybe I'm even going back to what you're talking about marketing. We're so worried about like, what is hot? What is working? What, what levers can I pull? And, and yet sometimes it is like you're saying, just kind of getting out of the way and saying, you know, not everything in the universe is just useful or, or practical and that's okay. Like it just has to be sometimes, sometimes it just has to sit there and we don't always have the answers and we're not really sure, but like, you know, a piece of music that you listen to, you don't go, well, did that, you know, uh, make me feel better? Did that do this for me? Did it put more money in my bank account? Like who cares? Like in that moment, you don't really care. Like when you hear a good story, you don't care. You you got lost in that moment for maybe a few hours in your book and you go, yeah, but that's a gift that I can enjoy. And it doesn't have to necessarily make my life this or that. Um, it, it doesn't have to make me money for it to count. And, um, and that's a hard, that's a hard line. I think we, we parent that way often. We, you know, everything's a financial decision, you know, everything's a practical decision. How much is it going to cost? You know, <laughs> you know, and sometimes the experiences we want to have with our children and, and all that, it, it costs money, but, but you can't put a price tag on it. You know, you can't put a price tag on a memory, you know, um, and those kinds of things. Um, Absolutely, I'm, I'm rambling too. I think, but um, <laughs> no, I, I, I love your rambling. Yeah. I, I, I resonate with that so much. Mm-hmm. It's because this, yeah, the utilitarianism of of sort of modernism, of, and I think it comes down to like, what do you think people are? Like, what mm-hmm. are human beings? And if we are like just kind of animals intended for like this pragmatic purposes, yeah, then we're just sort of uh, destined to kind of live out these sort of. But if we, that, that's that's like a very uh, again, it's a very narrow sort of view, but mm-hmm. I, this this view of people made in the image of God, of people who have souls, of people who love poetry for no reason, and sunsets, mm-hmm. and kissing, and the taste of grapes, and frosting on cake, which is totally not useful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even bad, you know. That that's mm-hmm. kind of we've got all this like gluten free, and I get I get when people have real problems, but like we have all these kind of things. Like we have these these laws about like, well, mm-hmm. this is what you. That we kind of forget what kind of beings we are. We're mm-hmm. beings who love sugar. Sugar comes from grass, you know. It's it's a it's 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 inc- this incredible, you know. Food comes from the ground. That's mm-hmm. I mean, if we went to a planet, and we weren't familiar with what was going on here, and we like found, hey, you know, this is. This is how they get food. It comes from the ground. And this is how they get their babies. And it's like they would be like, what in the world? What kind of crazy story are you talking about? Yes. And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And I, I, I love what you said because I think, I think uh, uh, we are outside of the refrigerator people as, as much as we are inside of the refrigerator people. It, you know, inside of the refrigerator you have food like, that you have to have to survive. On the outside of the refrigerator you have like pictures that kids draw. 
for their for their their, their little art mm-hmm. and stuff. And I just think we got to be like survival people and like flourishing people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you just articulated that so well to, mm-hmm. to say there's more to life than just the pragmatism of getting ahead or sort of mm-hmm. whatever the struggle is. Like yep. there is um there's these there's these there's these virtue there's this virtue that's sort of rooted in something that it goes back it's like the deep old magic mm-hmm. of truth beauty and goodness and mm-hmm. it just it just it puts you know puts utilitarianism and pragmatism to, to shame mm-hmm. that's great so uh sd so uh before we finish up what would be one uh, piece of writerly advice you'd give someone that's listening, that's starting out, that's, you know, we just talked about not being pragmatic, but, um, but, you know, just someone that's, you know, whether they're writing children or not, or just want to tell stories, you know, what are some things that maybe you've learned along the way you'd say, you know, th- this is really helpful for me and um, maybe it encourage encourage some people. Well, I do feel like the, the, the best writing advice that I have to give is to think of it as a vocation of love and service. Hmm. Uh, and I talked a lot about that earlier. So that, that is the kind of root. Uh, and that just, I think that changes the whole orientation away from celebrity and self-expression to uh, service and love and thinking about um, others, having them in mind uh, while, while we're writing mm-hmm. instead of like having the Caldecott or the National Book Award or, or a, you know, a million sales or whatever our mm-hmm. sort of goal is. Mm-hmm think about loving them. Um, I think that's, that's sort of the core because that's an identity thing like that. And a lot of other really good things flow out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, there's, there are practical things I just, you know, I I would, I would say don't, um, from my perspective, like don't let, okay, well there's two, the, the two that kind of, coincide like don't get your identity about like what an artist is from uh from the cliches like you one of them is that you you have to be sort of like mentally ill and uh you know really like um depressed and that's like got to be your sort of your thing like you're really you're a creative person so you've got to like seem like you've got to dress a certain way and i just say like just be what you are just Mm -hmm. be what you are Mm -hmm. uh that, that being is far better than seeming and so just be, you know, if you're a writer and you're a creative type, that's, that's cool. Like you don't have to like buy a certain kind of pants or something like that. <laughs> a lot of people who are like, who are fake, you know, who, who are not interested in doing the work. Like I would just say like bypass all the seeming stuff, which is such a big deal, like culturally and like in high school and, uh, and we kind of stay in that trap of like, well, I want to seem like I'm this. Well, like if you just do it, you'll probably pretty soon you'll seem like it too. And, mm-hmm. and that's fine. So like being is far more important than, um, than seeming mm-hmm. is a big one, uh, and I just I would I would just say like you don't have to sort of like fall fall for the the cliches of of like I have to be a moody person or I have mm-hmm. to like I or the rules don't apply to me because I'm an artist so mm-hmm. so I was a little bit selfish there well like I have to do that to be an artist like no you, no you don't mm-hmm. like you're you're you had all the same rules apply uh, to you and the world doesn't revolve around you because you're an artist like mm-hmm. uh, and, and and you don't. And this I feel like is a big one. Like you don't have to just hang out with other, like creative artsy type people. Like that's that's another misnomer. We all sort of long for creative community. But like if you're a writer, like hang out with normal people. Mm-hmm. You know, creative people. I, nothing. I don't like watching a movie that's written by like an Upper West Side, New York, 
person who has always lived in the Upper West Side of New York and sometimes lived in Los Angeles, and they write stories about like, writers from New York and actors from New York and from Los Angeles. Like, nothing against those people. That's fine. But, like, you know, have you met a normal person? You know, have you met a regular – like, have you met a coal miner? Have you met a fireman? Have you met a teacher? And, you know, do, you know get outside of yourself as much as possible. So I think a lot of times our longing, sometimes it's because we're isolated and we want to meet other people like us and we just long for some kind of a connection. And that's, that's normal. But what's not cool is just thinking, um, I gotta, I've got to meet and be around like all of these other artist types. And I think sometimes what we want when we want to have a room full of people that are artists and creative and writers is that we just want to look around the room and see mirrors and I just feel like that's not that's not what we need. Like we don't need we need other kinds of people. Like if you're strong at like being creative, but like maybe you stink at business, which is true for a lot of like introverted writer types. I think it's cool. Like I think you're 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 thinking a lot about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and helping people on that stuff, Ryan. But like you know, a lot of us don't think very well about that stuff. So we like you need help. Like you need to meet some businessman, somebody that you don't dress like normally or whatever. You need mm-hmm. to like so we need each and he probably needs you too. Mm-hmm. And you need each other. I think that's kind of one of the cool things about the church is that there's all kinds of people with different gifts that mm-hmm. come together and serve and love each other. And that when you fit into a community like that, it's better than just finding a bunch of mirrors to look at. So the big the big root advice for all those little tangents that I could go on and on about are you know, figure out what your identity really is and who you are and just be that. Mm -hmm. And don't uh, get too wrapped up in seeming or like coming off as an artist or, or, or hanging out with just artists. Like that's kind of like, that's just like a gag, you know, don't, don't, don't do that. Like Mm -hmm. be with other normal people and be a normal person yourself. Don't be above others. Uh, Be a servant, be in your community you know, find your identity rooted in something deeper mm-hmm. than perception, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, and, and, li- and yeah, yeah, live it out, live out that calling with joy. That's great. No, I think that's really helpful advice. Um, yeah, so much of you know, and you know, and if our identity is just in writing, well, then that means our emotional state, our relational state, will always be rooted in the writing or the art. You know, if it's going well, we'll be well, good. If we're, it's not, we'll be bad. You know, it's we have to have something that's more solid. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, so last, uh, where can people find you, um, SD and, uh, what are you working on? What do you got coming out? Uh, what do they need to go check out? Uh, well, boy, stuff's coming. Uh, it's kind of a weird time. Uh, uh, we've got a couple books, uh, coming out right now. If you're just starting, the best place to, to find me is just sdsmith.net. Um, I couldn't get the .com. <laughs> sdsmith.net and, uh, you, you can find all my books and, and, and everything there. I've got a couple new books coming out. One that's one that's uh, just been released. I should uh, be shipping here before Christmas. Uh, but the, but the, my series is the Green Number series, and there are four books that have been uh, released now, and there's a new one coming out in, I think we're going to do a Kickstarter in January for that. So, I'd, yeah, I'd love for you to, to give my stories a chance. I'd be really, really grateful. Well, SD, it's been um, an absolute privilege, and I've loved hearing your insight into children's books and life and faith and everything else, and uh, it helped a lot of people today. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, so excited for your success, and look forward to more people getting into your books and sharing them with their kids and their families, and uh, all the best. 
Thank you, Ryan. I really, it's an honor to be here, and thanks for indulging me with my long, uh, possibly profoundly boring answers. I'm not sure, <laughs> but uh, I, I, pre- I appreciate At some point, I was like, is he still there? Because I'm still talking. Uh, but I, but I, I'm really grateful for you having me on. Thank you so much. You bet. Well, there you have it, prolific writer nation, S.D. Smith, coming on strong. Thank you, S.D., so much for coming on the show. And I hope you really enjoyed this interview. I know I did just talking to SD. He just had a ton of things to say that were really helpful. I I love the way he talks about kind of engaging kids imagination and how important that is. I love the way he talks about writing as a way to serve and love people. And I know it it can be very self aggrandizing and, and we think writing is just a selfish thing, but really those of you that are writing, those of you who want to write, to, to kind of shift that narrative and say, actually, we're, we're serving and we're helping people in some way. We have a message to share. We have books to, you know, we always think, well, it's just books to entertain people, but, but really to, to help them think about the world, think about the universe, maybe even let them escape the world for a couple moments through hard times. And I, I know that's sometimes for me, the greatest compliments I get is like, Hey, thank you for that book. You wrote it. It helped me while I was sick or it helped me while I was de- dealing with the surgery and just to have some moments to kind of escape into another world. Um, and also just the, you know, those of us that are writing in other spaces too, just the, the impact you can have. And I think sometimes the best marketing that we can do is to love and serve people and think about others, not just ourselves in our own bank accounts and things. So, so thank you, SD Smith. Go check him out, sdsmith.com, and get his books, uh, the Green Ember series. I'll put all that in the show notes, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So this is Ryan J. Pelton from The Prolific Writer. Thank you for stopping by. Go check out the all the shows on the Project Entertainment Network. And I'll have one thing to say as we sign off today is get those words on the page, and I'll talk to you real, real soon. Join us each Wednesday on the Mondo Method Podcast, brought to you by Project Entertainment Network. The Mondo Method Podcast features authors Armand Rosamilia and Chuck Buddha as they discuss the writing process from both the veteran and the novice perspectives. Each episode ends with a segment called Marketing Morsels, where expert publicist Aaron Sweet Almahari teaches everyone how to promote their work and sell more books. Check us out on the Mondo Method Podcast on Project Entertainment Network. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 